Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Dr. Nicole Bruno and Dr. Janine Irvin-Smith, welcome. Thank you so much for stopping by and saying hi while you're here at Connexity. Yes, I'm very excited to be in Nashville. It's my first time here. Really? Yeah. Thanks for having us up. But thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. We've got a lot of stuff to get going here. Yeah, I know. It's a whirlwind few days for sure. It is. Um, But I do want to talk about some of the amazing things that you are doing, um, you know, that bring you to Connexity, but that are just like setting these wheels in motion in vet med right now. I'm so excited about it. And we'll definitely get into that. But before we start out asking our question of the day, would you mind just giving our listeners a little bit of background on who you are and why you're here talking to me today? Sure. So my name is Dr. Nicole Bruno. I am a veterinarian, small animal medicine. I currently practice in Houston, Texas, but originally from New York City. I'm a graduate of Cornell University's Woo-hoo! veterinary school. <laughs> Go big <laughs> <one. laughs> But I, um, you know, growing up in New York and not seeing myself in the role of a, of a veterinarian was always something that bothered me. My mom was a teacher, and so she provided me some exposure and resources through books, but I didn't really have that mentorship as a child. And shortly after saying I wanted to be a vet, my younger sister said she wanted to be a vet. And so it became a family mission, like all of us That's amazing. going and doing um, events and activities and you know feeding stray animals in the streets of Queens, New York. And it ultimately led me on a journey to Tuskegee University for undergrad because my mom felt that it was important for me to see representation. And that is actually where I met Dr. Irvin Smith because we were classmates in undergrad. And it was at Tuskegee that it really showed me what it was like to belong in this profession and to be guided and mentored by my professors and have classmates like Janine that we were trying to get to the same goal at vet school. And when it came time to apply to veterinary school, there was no doubt that I was staying at Tuskegee, but being a New Yorker, you apply to more than one school, applied to Cornell, was accepted, and really had that moment of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go because I didn't want to go back into the world of being the only and lonely, and I had no idea what my class would look like. I knew what my class at Tuskegee would look like. And I ultimately went up to Cornell, no regrets, was able to do some amazing things. I had one of the most diverse classes in Cornell's vet school history. And our classmates and I, we founded Voice. And we took an organization that had been founded by my roommates. We didn't really understand the acronym, couldn't remember it, and we changed it to Voice. And that was so instrumental in how we've gotten here in the other side of it is because I had that sense of belonging at Cornell, even though I wasn't the majority. I had my classmates, we supported each other, and because it was ultimately passed down through further classes behind us, Voice became a national organization, Voice has chapters in other veterinary schools, and it was something that my sister, when she entered Cornell, was able to benefit from. And I think that what I started to realize as part of my story is that I've always walked into places in veterinary medicine seeing it from the perspective of my vantage point, but also knowing that my younger sister is coming behind me. And what was I going to do to create a change that it didn't have the same environment for her? And so because of that, I felt like I did such great work at Cornell with my classmates with voice, 
But then you graduate, you go into the real world, and it's back to the same stagnant culture of vet med. And I think very early on in my career, I realized that while I loved, now that I was a vet, I could go back and talk to students, encourage them into the profession, but I felt very disengaged in the profession because I didn't feel like my voice mattered. I didn't see myself in any of my colleagues, even the staff, and I felt such a disconnect with the clients that we serve because we weren't able to provide any kind of education, you know, if there was language barriers. And these were things that were important to me because I'm biracial and my family, my father's Colombian and I grew up, you know, hearing Spanish. I'm not fluent in it, but I understand enough to help, to start, to know that we need to do more. And so I realized that as an associate vet, there was not much I could do to change culture. And when I had an opportunity to be step into a leadership role in Long Island, I did. And when I looked at the community that we were serving, I made sure that I hired people within my staff to fill those barriers. And that's when I fell in love with Vet Medigan because I was like, I can change the culture. I can create the change that I want to see. And so I did the same thing in Houston because I decided New York is expensive <laughs> and I couldn't stay. And so I did it. I moved to Houston in 2017 and I worked in a corporate hospital, corporate owned hospital. And I did the same thing, went through that leadership through the pandemic. And I think the pandemic obviously changed us all. Yeah. But I think it definitely required leadership to change their mindset. And I realized that how I had been led was not how I needed to lead my staff. And I, right before 2020 um, happened, I started feeling, I don't know if it's because I was gonna turn 40, I was having this crisis situation, but I was like, I'm ready to do more back in the DEI space. Like I did the leadership thing, but now I, I wanna create more of a monumental change within the industry. And I started making some phone calls, started getting myself better educated. I took the Purdue course, the Brave Space course. um, And I thought about how I wanted to create a program that not only taught, you know, individuals about DEI, but made it more where we can apply it into daily practice. And I came up with the concept of blend and, you know, blend the, the letters of blend stand for the pillars or the values of the program. So building relationships, leadership, education and equity, navigating the unknown and diversity, inclusion and belonging. And through those pillars, infusing DEI within the hospital so that everybody, whether you're a client service representative or your practice manager, you should be able to take something from it and apply it into your role and create the culture that makes people want to stay but also make students of color or marginalized groups see themselves in this profession and then know that when they come work in your hospital, their voice will matter because that's all I ever wanted in this profession. It was a lot, but that's my story. (laughs) I I mean, it's amazing. And I wish we had an hour or two hours to talk about it because there's so much in that story. Like that that was a nutshell version of so much work and thought and support and lack of support. And I mean, you've experienced, you you said, you know, you learned how you had been led wasn't how you needed to lead. And I think that is so important is that sometimes those experiences where we're not led well, or we're not receiving the support that we need, it creates really great leaders um, because you see that hole and you step up to fill it. Um, And I just, 
I love your story and um, it's very inspiring. And I know that that's one of the reasons why Blend is going to be so successful and has already been so successful is because it has so much of that passion just inherent in it. Just I was looking at your website and I just could feel that coming off of the pages, how much you care personally. Um, and and I, I definitely feel that now that we're here together. Um, Janine, would you want to give us yeah. a little bit of background? Like, I know you I'll, met... I'll try and give you, the cliff notes. <laughs> you met at Tuskegee, but so that yeah. means you've stayed in touch through being separated. Actually, actually no. Oh. Yeah, we, we <laughs> have stayed in touch. And so, interestingly enough, all, although, of course, our journeys were in two different areas, um, uh, you know, we took two different paths. She went to Cornell, and I stayed mm-hmm. at, at Tuskegee. Um, we had pretty similar experiences throughout veterinary medicine. And so, um, as far as when we connected, it was actually earlier part of this year, she had been a one-woman show all this time oh working gosh. for efforts to get Blend started and doing a fantastic job. And so I was at a space in my career where I said that's what I wanted to do as well because of those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so it hasn't all, all been a bed of roses you know, in vet medicine, although I love it, um, there are things that we do need to change. And I'm really glad that I'm able to work with Nicole and create that space to do so. And when we think about DEI, it's not just for veterinary medicine. This is something that any profession can use. So Yeah. Absolutely. I, I keep seeing statistics, you know, that say that um, employees prefer an employer who is, um, you know, making space for DE&I initiatives in their workplace and is prioritizing those conversations. And yet, when you see numbers of you know, employers being surveyed, how many of them think it's important or how many of them would spend money or effort on these initiatives, um, it's not super high, it doesn't no. seem like. And uh, that's so... Where does that disconnect come from? I mean, why are people saying, this is what I need, this is what I want, and this is how I will come work for you and stay there, and employers just don't see that yet? I think a lot of it is just not knowing where to start. Yeah. And I think that when you don't have representation in that leadership spot, when you don't have a seat at the boardroom, you're not able to create that impact. You know, I share a lot of my personal stories because I think that that's what resonates with people. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes it's very painful for me because that's a it's an experience that I had that I had to push back in order to continue being the vet that I wanted to be. But in some cases, in order to really get somebody to understand how impactful they can be is hearing my side of things. Mm -hmm. And when we don't take the time to bring diverse voices and create that space for diverse talent to thrive, that's what's making leadership not want to invest and see it through. And I saw that during the pandemic, you know, I was in Houston and, you know, a lot of the protests were happening in Houston. I'm a native New Yorker. It's COVID during the social unrest of George Floyd. I lost my grandmother. I lost people that I knew in New York. And that coupled with the social unrest, coupled with the lack of response in veterinary medicine, just made me unapologetically tired. I was just tired. I was, and I was ready to speak up because my staff was hurting. They didn't know what was the position of our, our, hospital our company what were we going to do to create change like you know everybody was just very raw and vulnerable Mm -hmm. and that's when I realized that as leaders you know we have to meet them at that place and I was able to share with them like I'm hurting right now and I think we can all agree that we need to talk about this and we need to figure out what's the best next step for us as a hospital because I said I know you may want to go down and protest but I need you to work. But this is what we can do, you know, to create the change. Not everybody 
has to do everything. Like sometimes we need to find our own lane. And for us, what my hospital chose to do is because a lot of veterinary students were unable to get exposure opportunities um, during the pandemic, understandably. I started zooming into undergraduate colleges. I started with HBCUs because I'm a HBCU graduate. And I started talking to the pre-vet club about veterinary medicine. I offered a couple of students before I had to stop due to COVID to come and get some shadowing experiences at my hospital. And I think by doing that, it let my staff see that, you know, we may not be able to make a huge, huge change, but we can do something to play a role and help somebody else get fulfill their dream during this time. So I think that just my takeaway always is start off small, but you'd be so surprised once you make that start how much doors open. Mm -hmm. And I think even for myself and why we reconnected is, is that I finally decided to take a leap and leave my job and focus exclusively on blend. And I made this announcement on LinkedIn, and here comes my longtime <laughs> friend, you know, to say, I'm gonna do that. this with you. Oh and, my gosh. And she has been a, a godsend because at that point I was like, I can't do this by myself. <laughs> yeah. But I also knew that, you know, I had to keep going until I met somebody that was going to do it with me. And here we are. That is amazing. <laughs> so I have to That's ask great. you. You know, the the theme of Connexity this year is create a better world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably pretty obvious to everybody watching and listening, and to me certainly, that you guys are already doing that. You know, you are doing a huge service to this world of veterinary medicine um, by trying to make it a more inclusive place um, with, you know, the the difficult conversations coming out of the shadows that I think we in vet med have been avoiding for way too long. Yes. Um, and by making it more visible to people of really diverse backgrounds, because I, you know, coming from my background, I know 50 years ago, maybe I wouldn't have seen veterinarian as something I could do just being a woman, but coming from where I lived and who I am and my background of privilege, I, it never occurred to me that I might not be able to be one. Mm-hmm. You know, if I wanted to do veterinary medicine, I was going to just do it. And everybody's like, great, that sounds great. That's what, yeah. that's what girls in my, you know, who liked horses in my neighborhood <laughs> like to do is mm-hmm. say they were going to be vets. And it took a roundabout way, but that's where I ended up. But it never occurred to me as a kid that that wasn't the case for everyone. You know, I wasn't even raised to be aware of that. And so I think the conversations that you're having and starting and keeping going are so important for kids like I was too, who need to be able to see that not everything is going to be the same for everyone, that we're all starting out different. And that means that somebody like me can have a voice in a room where maybe not everyone is invited. Um, and that's important too, because there are a lot of rooms in vet med where not everyone is invited still. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when we think about the profession, and, and so a lot of times most people don't understand or even know that the veterinary profession, only 3% of that, or less sometimes, yes. depending on the years, uh, are of black veterinarians. Yeah. And so um, of the one veterinary school um, that's on an HBCU campus, we're actually the most diverse. Uh, so Tuskegee University, being yeah. that it's on an HBCU, which is a historically black college university, it is the most diverse. It's putting out a lot of the other populations that are not represented within the veterinary profession. Mm-hmm. And so even today, we did a pipeline event at the elementary school. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. looking and talking to kids that see veterinarians that look yeah. like them made a huge, huge, huge smile on these guys' faces. Yeah. 
and just providing that knowledge and like you said exposure yeah gives them the opportunity to even think that they can now do this because they see someone that looks like them yeah. so that's what we want to do we want to build the pipeline and make that a more diverse profession i love that and that's going to make it stronger overall and, and i um I was going to ask you what, to you, what does a better world in veterinary medicine look like? Um, what's the number one thing that you would like to see in that better world? For myself, most of my profession had been on the front end of like feeding the pipeline mm -hmm. of getting me creating programming or actually me going into schools within New York City or now Houston to talk to students. But I think where I hit that point of burnout was realizing that why would I want to encourage students to come into a profession that I didn't feel like I belonged in or felt like I had a pathway or trajectory to leadership. I had to create my own company to be a leader, yeah. you know, to actually climb past just hospital leadership. Like, and I want veterinarians to understand that it's just as important to provide the practice environment, the workplace environment, so that everybody who is underrepresented in this profession can have a voice, can feel as if they belong, because I think that's the key to keeping us in the profession and to making sure that when we go to schools, that after we leave, like, that they can call another veterinarian in Nashville and say, hey, can I get a shadowing experience? Because I just met two vets that I want to be like. Yeah. You know, but it, the reality is that's not what happens. And my colleagues don't necessarily provide those experiences. And I had a lot of students during the pandemic from HBCUs. Like, I am very close to Prairie View A&M in proximity to where I lived and practice. And they could not find equine externships you know they felt like they didn't belong in those spaces and that's why people don't stay and they leave and we have to do more on both sides to feed the pipeline but create the culture in our practices that say hey you belong in this space that's how we change the world i love it mic drop <laughs> oh. where does frankie start snoring <laughs> That's he wasn't, he wasn't invited. <laughs> We're going to Nashville next time. He deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I echo that at 100%. That's absolutely mm -hmm. what we've got to do. We have yeah. to really create the culture to make them want to stay. I mean, my experience as well, I mean, I had a lot of technicians that were either Hispanic or black. And then sometimes um, when they would come in, they would not see the support that they would actually expect to get. Um, and they didn't feel, almost felt like an us versus them. Yeah. And they didn't want to stay. They would go somewhere else. Um, yeah. And so a lot of the positions I was in in my leadership roles, you know, for me, I stayed quite a bit um, to, to help them understand what we need. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that they understood what we need to do to make our team members feel comfortable, feel mm -hmm. like they belong. And that's what Bland is actually doing, creating an environment not just for D&I, but also the belonging piece. Yeah. And that community aspect is going to help them to feel as if they belong. And it's not a you versus us so that they stay. Yeah. And many people that work, you know, they live in the communities that their mm -hmm. hospitals are in. So even if, you know, we can start off with just community outreach, I mean, that's people feel good. Like, I feel so energized from this morning with the students. Like, they're just so happy. And, you know, and those are the things that I think that when we go out and engage with the communities and share what we do, we can feed off that energy. And mm -hmm. but we have to make sure that these students are supported, not just with mentorship and representation, but you know, the financial aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, we have terrible, <laughs> we have so much educational debt mm -hmm. and it makes the profession not very, you know, appealing 
when we are already dealing with students that are coming from, you know, environments that they're not getting the access to education or the extra support. So they have to go out and get these volunteer hours. And, you know, parents can't always take you to a volunteer hour or an activity or they can't even, um, you know, afford to volunteer, you know, and I just as you mentioned privilege, like I had privileges in that I didn't have to work in vet school and I had family that supported me, but that's not the case. And I think that that's why I'm so, I think we all have to like examine our privilege and then take that and say, okay, well, what I had, I can make it better for somebody else. And it's sometimes as simple as just creating that opportunity for them to get that exposure or sponsoring a student to go to a program at a vet school. I mean, vet schools have these programs, but sometimes it's really hard for students that are, you know, underrepresented and don't have the socioeconomic means to get to those programs. Hospitals can sponsor students. And so that to me is why Blend wasn't just about the training. It was about teaching hospitals how they can engage with the community just in small, subtle ways, but that create a long effect for for one student or two students and so that is my hope if I can do nothing else it will be that every hospital in this country will be blend certified I may have gray hair by the time it happens but it will happen I'm I, and, and that will be what you know will make me feel like I can now retire because my husband is like, That's when a will lot it of be enough? Left. When will it be enough? And I'm like, I don't know. But in this moment, that's when it'll be enough. When every hospital is blood certified. Somehow, I'm guessing that you, as a big dreamer, will will think of something else to go for before it's gray. But one of the people who don't know that just lights the that, fire. Yeah, yeah just, yep, yep. It's, it's so funny. I had to take like one of those assessment tests of like your personality, mm-hmm. and I got it back, and it was like you're a visionary. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. And literally no one is surprised. So, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Nicole Bruno and Dr. Janine Irvin-Smith, thank you so much for stopping by. And for spending so much time here at Connexity. And um, I can't wait to hear about the amazing things you guys do next. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, absolutely. It was wonderful being here. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.